Hello, hello, dearest audience. Welcome to Chemohawk Sessions. I hope that you are having an infinitely magical day. Welcome to Chapter 3, White Collar, Black Belt, Collar Blind Collars. I hope that you enjoyed the last episode dealing with the feeding meetings. This episode will cover a couple of different topics. It's going to provide a broad overview of different collar jobs and how they can affect the employee, what type of toll they take in the long run, advantages and disadvantages to some of the different colors, just things to be mindful about whenever you're thinking about passing judgment on a different color job. Also, it's going to kind of rein it in and talk about survival tactics and mindset approaches to a white collar environment. At the end of the day, this is mostly a white collar podcast because that is what I was able to draw from with my own personal experiences with white collar. I can tell you that working in both a blue collar sector, which is your you know standard, somewhere between manual labor, skilled trade, but the common denominator is that involves a lot of physical labor and it's the type of work that you can stop for the day, leave, and not have it gnawing on you 24 hours a day. You don't even run the risk of worrying about blue collar work when you're not actually working because you know that there are many hands involved into the project and other people are picking up that slack. But with a white collar situation, you will have specific work that is very inextricably tied to you and you are responsible. You're held accountable by customers. You're you're held accountable by deadlines and seemingly outrageous sometimes expectations. So there is more stress and pressure coming at you from multiple avenues, in my opinion, with a white collar type situation. But we'll also get into other collars that seem to carry even more potent stress and a seemingly inescapable plight sometimes when it comes to the risk and it comes to the level of accountability that you have with some other color jobs. And we will discuss a term that to me is one of the most die-hard colors, which is having a redneck. Because while the term redneck is sometimes seen as being pejorative or inflammatory, I actually have quite a bit of respect for people that carry the redneck. Because to me, it is irrefutable. It's an irrefutable indication of hard work, usually outdoor work, and performing tasks that I either would not have the strength and guile and mental toughness to get through. So I certainly have a lot of appreciation for people that work in fields, people that work in forested areas, people that do a lot of from sunup to sundown farming type work. I look at people that are in that sector as being extremely valuable and tougher than myself. That's someone who's a hardcore caller because they're wearing it on their flesh. Let's go over a broad overview of just the different types of labors. And as you know, because of my aforementioned affinity for quotes, I believe I'll start with a few quotes to set the tone. Trying to be a perfectionist brings increased stress and hinders performance. T. Whitmore. Now think about that. Think about how you were growing up before you started working for a company that mattered. Think of all of your personality quirks and foibles that you bring with you to a workplace setting. I am of the mind that if you work with someone, a coworker, a superior, a subordinate, whatever terminology you choose to use, if you work with someone and they're somewhere between terrible and almost unbearably unnerving, 
if they're like that at work, if their personality mimics something that's horrible in a workplace setting, then after work, you see them in social situations and you think they're great. You think they're personable, you think they're comedic, you think they're are easygoing and live and all this. To me, if you are a jerk or a jerkette in the workplace, that's who you are. I mean, there are very few jobs to me that would require you to be unnecessarily rude, curt, full of yourself, prideful, and completely dismissive of your colleagues' concerns. There's very few jobs that are life and death where the stakes are through the roof that would demand you be less than your best pleasant self in the workplace. So to me, if you're an absolute jerk for the eight to 10 hours that you share a shift with someone, that's not the kind of person that I would wanna spend time with outside of work no matter how gregarious they may be, because that's still you. You're making a conscious decision to be difficult or to lord over your power on others in the workforce. To me, I put them in the same category. I prefer to be friends and build strong bonds with people that are pleasant to work with, that do their job, that are helpful, that don't take things personally, and they just roll with the punches, so to speak. I think that if people are being very difficult in the workplace, if they are bringing their perfectionist tendencies or their you know, impossible to satisfy approaches to the work, that's something that is on them because I believe most companies, they're not paying you to make things perfect. They're paying you to manage situations, maintain a positive and mature outlook through your tasks and to get the job done and to get it done on time. So those people that are bringing their personality quirks that are very taxing and time consuming in the workplace, like trying to be a perfectionist, for example, I think that's something that they should start finding ways to curtail. So that was a quote that I found to be quite relevant on a workplace approach. Next quote, much of the stress that people feel doesn't come from having too much to do. It comes from not finishing what they've started. David Allen. There is no place for procrastination as far as I'm concerned. That's my personal quirk. I think that if you're given three weeks to perform a project, you have to be someone who looks to the future and you exercise foresight and you exercise the assumption that things are gonna come up that were not on the docket, they were not in your plan or your, your calendar and you have to uh, make accommodations for that. So I think it's important to do your work as soon as you can so that you have time available for future situations, difficulties, complications that come your way as they invariably will. I think, again, this quote by David Allen is ideal for setting the tone of how you should work and with what sense of urgency you should use on already tasked work. With the callers, I, like a lot of youthful people in my time, worked jobs that were not particularly mentally exhausting. They were more in the moment they were more a set period of time, no overtime, sometimes part-time, and it required a lot of physical energy to be exhausted. It required a lot of being outdoors, a lot of movement, a lot of running around and skipping lunch and really just doing things that you have a surplus of energy to do. And as you get older, try to maintain that same level of, let's say, a blue-collar career. And you're doing work that is very physically taxing, very physically demanding but your body starts to dry out. It starts to deteriorate and your the natural lubrication that you have on your joints starts waning and you just don't have the energy you used to have. Plus, you'll have additional factors that come up as you age that you did not have when you were 16 years old. You have more responsibilities. You now have a family 
or you have more travel, or you have taking care of an elderly parent or family member. You have a lot of things that are also pulling from the finite amount of energy that you have in your tank. If you think about it in terms of what you're capable of and what you're physically able to accomplish, this is something that is going to change. And so the less energy you have or the less physical vigor, the harder it's going to be to perform this blue collar type work. So what is blue collar type work? Well, there's a very general definition, which is a class of sometimes skilled workers who use labor. This can be labor using their hands. It can be repetitive motions. Sometimes it falls in the manual category where it's very repetitive. Sometimes it's technical labor. Now, this also does not often require any sort of formal education degree, but some do require vocational degrees or certificates. That's blue collar in a very general sense. Now, the disadvantages with blue collar work are that to me, I believe it's not sustainable for your life or for the vast majority of your life. Now, there are a lot of tough carbon-based life forms that will work two or three jobs, often very physically taxing, like when you think of the roughneckers who do work on oil rigs and people that work basically the old idea of a cowboy who are basically people that do all kinds of work with animals and herding and just spending all day doing what I would consider to be backbreaking work. Some people are able to do this throughout the duration of their life. But to me, practically some disadvantages are you're not going to have the energy to devote to your blue collar work. It gets, it gets less and less likely the older you get. You're going to start having physical problems. You're going to start having medical issues, uh, arthritis. Uh, I've, I've known a lot of people that have shoulder and rotator cuff injuries that occur just from aging and from their the athlete, athletics that they participated in in life and a lot of the labor-oriented jobs. It just becomes very difficult to have a strong output of physical labor when your body is breaking down. Also, a disadvantage with blue-collar type work is uh, it's not going to be, I think, as certain. It's not going to have as many benefits that you could use for a family. Like, So it may not have a 401k. You may not get stock options. You may not even get medical benefits or the medical benefits may be severely limited. With the blue-collar type work, you are looking at some potential setbacks. But this is the trade-off. And this is coming from someone who spent time doing blue collar work. I mowed lawns. I guess I was something of an entrepreneur for about 15 years. I would mow lawns uh, sometimes daily, weekly. I at one point had a pretty significant client base and I did it all myself because I didn't want to share the profits with anyone. Mowing lawns, I thought, well, this is great. Uh, it's, I, I don't mind working in August in Houston, Texas which for anyone who's ever even stepped foot in Texas knows it is a very hot and unforgiving state. When I was young, that was that was no skin off my teeth. I was able to accomplish it and have plenty of energy left in the tank. But then you start getting older and wiser and you start factoring in, okay, how much energy do I have? The sun takes a toll on your body. Well, coming from that and then working in a white collar environment, I realized something. And this is something that is a huge selling point for blue collar type work. You can leave it on site and then go home or get away from work and not worry about it. You do not have to worry about pending looming grief that you're going to be facing the following morning. You don't have to worry about pissed off customers. You don't have to worry about some sort of quarterly meeting where your supervisor is discussing all the ins and outs and intricacies of every action you've taken over the prior three months. You don't have to worry about the big picture issues about, well, what company or what internal department am I going to shift to? What 
section of the company do I most belong in? You don't have to think about all of these looming issues about what mistakes you may have made that day that keep you up at night and rob you of sleep. My philosophy is the company, whichever company you work for, for white collar, blue collar type jobs, they're not paying you for a 24 hour shift seven days a week. So for the hours that you are not present at work, you should not be thinking about work. You should be thinking about if you look at it like you have an alter ego and half of your time is spent at work and the other half is your life and your life outside of work, you shouldn't be spending all your time talking about what you do at work. And that is an issue that you run into if a lot of your friends, your outside of work friends, are people that you know through work or that you met at work because now there's a tendency. And I'm not saying everyone performs this type of conversation when they're engaged with their friends, but there is a tendency to discuss work and trends at work, what you all did at work that week, looming concerns that are working their way down the pipe. This is the risk that you run of hanging out with uh, the vast majority of your friends if there's someone that shares a career or a same line of business that you're in. Now, I know there's a caveat to that, which is if you really love what you do and you really enjoy your work and every moment of it, and you're excited before you get there, and you're not anxious to leave, well, for you, I guess you struck the American dream because you're someone who has found that one line of business that pays you, and you enjoy it so much, the monetary benefit might as well just be included in the fact that you're being rewarded every day that you get to spend more time there because you have such a deep love and reverence for it. But for me, and for a lot of humanoid bipeds, I believe it is fair to say they do not love, they are not fully enamored with their workplace. I would say that that advantage of being able to leave the stress, pressure, and whatever the restrictions or whatever the expectations are of your job with a blue color, you're able to leave it. So you put in eight hours of work, you get eight hours of pay, and that's all you're going to give to that organization or that discipline or that effort for that day short of however long it takes you to drive home. With a white collar situation, there are very appealing benefits at the onset. You're usually offered a medical benefits package. You're offered sometimes not only a 401k, but a company match of that 401k. And there's a multitude of little advantages and little gifts that you get along the way. Sometimes they'll have national taco or barbecue days where they'll pay for lunch. And sometimes they'll accommodate travel that you have to take for the company, including per diem. There are a lot of little gifts and knickknacks that you get along the way, usually. But in a grand scheme of things, there's this recurring issue, which they do not spell out to you when you fill out your initial contract paperwork, which is if you're salaried or hourly salaried where you, you are technically getting paid a salary and you're not allowed overtime, but if you do for some unforeseen or unusual circumstances, if you actually take in some overtime and you, and you clock in for overtime, they have to pay you that overtime. So it's not a true salaried position where you could work 65 hours a week, but your annual salary does not change, i.e. you are not paid overtime. For this type of position, in my mind, I looked at it very mathematically. I said, okay, you're paying me for 40 hours a week. I'm not allowed to get overtime for some of the departments that I worked in. I'm going to give you 40 hours. I'm going to give you the exact amount of time that you're bartering uh, for my time with, with money, with monetary benefit. I tried that, but if you take pride in your work and you're someone who wants to receive the accolades and the meritorious 
ranks of exceeds, far exceeds, stupendous work. If you want to get the highest possible pay raise, the highest possible bonus, if you want to be in a good negotiating position to potentially take on a, a promotion or take on another challenge in the company, how you're evaluated that your bi-yearly, your annual reviews that state very clearly how your performance was, you want to be someone who stands out. So if you take your work seriously, it's going to be very difficult to completely separate what you did on the clock and what you think about when you're off the clock, you're at home, you're trying to sleep that night. It's very difficult to shut it off because you start thinking about what you did that day, mistakes you may have made. You start thinking about what's looming on your docket tomorrow, that week, that month. You start thinking about relationships that you've established with customers, with colleagues. In addition to the day to day, like so with the blue collar situation, you are doing your work for that day and you may have projects that go on for a period of time but it's really just what you did that day and you kind of leave it at work. Not only do you have to worry about the day-to-day -day work in a white collar environment, you have to worry about what inroads have you made with other colleagues, with management that can have a profound impact on your future at that company. If you, had, if you have good ongoing relationships with management, this can open doors for you. But if you are having a few mistakes or errors in judgment, or you rub some managers the wrong way one year or one quarter or whatever the case, you also have to sit there after hours and worry, have I blown my chances? Have I mucked up or otherwise debilitated my own opportunities at advancement because of these errors that I've made? Now, I remember reading an article, uh, this was over 10 years ago. I don't know how relevant it still is. And again, it was just a article that was based on probably a thousand respondees. But the information stated that for a man, one of his greatest fears in life is making a mistake at work that could jeopardize his future, his standing in the company, his ability to provide for himself, for his family. Because it's not just that you want to provide for your family, your spouse, your children, but it's also since you spend so much time at work, it can be seen as a gauge for how successful you've been in life. Now, I don't necessarily agree with this, and I think it's a very dangerous philosophy, because if you put a lot of stock engaging your own personal sense of value or accomplishment based on what you do at work or how you're evaluated at work, what happens if you work for a large company that doesn't seemingly value you? How would that make you feel? I can tell you that for someone who spent hours at my former company, not just in the departments where I was only working, quote unquote, 40 hours a week, but for all the hours spent after work that they're not paying you for, worrying, worrying about what you've done. Have you done enough? What mistakes have you made? Who are you rubbing the wrong way? Did you tell a joke and you heard one person laugh and six people shudder because of the distastefulness of your joke or any anything like that where you're worried about the stakes of your, your actual future? So this quote said that that's, that can be man's greatest fear is making a mistake at work that may have blown or otherwise severely undermined a future that they have at that company. And then for a woman at the time, this article was written, it stated their biggest fear was not being loved, not being loved by those people that they should be loved by most, family, a spouse, their children, whatever the case, it was living in a uh, loveless world. I just think it's so interesting because as a man, I remember reading that quote and I completely understood 
what was meant by that quote and it hit me in a very singular way and it had an impact. I definitely understand what they mean by a man making a or taking a misstep or making a considerable mistake at work that they perceive to jeopardize their future. This all to say, do not take work too seriously. That's the best advice that I can relay from the subject matter of this episode is whatever type of job you work, do not take it too seriously unless your employer is paying you an appropriate amount of money to worry about your position in that company and how hard you're working, unless they're paying you what you consider to be an adequate amount for the cost of keeping you up at night or preventing you from being able to wholly enjoy your personal time because you're sidetracked worrying about how much you're contributing at work. Different colored collars. So there are, like we discussed, the white collar and the blue collar. These are just occupational classifications. They're used to distinguish people who perform manual labor or who work with their hands or some sort of skilled labor force from office employees. Now, it is generally perceived that white collar jobs have a higher pay grade and blue collar jobs carry sometimes an hourly wage. I believe this is mostly true. You have to also consider that people that have been working for the same company, blue collar or not, over time, you accrue more money, you get more certifications, you're seen as a more valued asset. That could that could make slight deviations from this general material. And also the more skilled you become, you know, the more valuable you become. So you may become a team leader or you may become a regional manager or something to that effect even though you started out doing blue collar work, but you can certainly work your way up the corporate ladder and you can carry with that a higher pay scale. Also a difference is that it's, like I said, it's the white collar. It They may only pay you for X amount of time. There's really no way, unless you're very good at creating kind of an organic dichotomy, it's very difficult to separate your work from your personal time when you have a white collar job where you get a portfolio of customers that are assigned to you and as far as that customer is concerned, you're available 24 hours a day. Things are constantly cyclical. They're constantly ongoing. And so you're going to come in the next day to phone calls and emails and requests for more work and for more things that are needed. And it seemingly never ends. That's one difference I think that is a big selling point for blue collar work. I found that all the time that I spent being crippled with concerns and fear and uncertainty about my work, I found that to be something that was lost and I'm unable to gain it back. That time is lost. But when I was working in blue collar work, I would just leave it. I would leave the work there when the shift was over and not worry about it. So that was that was a big perk. There are other types of colors, believe it or not, and they actually make sense when you analyze them just past the initial term. So you have gray collar, which is, it's kind of a, it's, I would say it's kind of an obsolete term but some people use it for people that are in information technology. Gold collar fits perfectly, I think. A gold collar is generally seen as the most sought after profession where you're highly skilled, you generally have uh, quite a bit of collegiate accomplishment and quite a bit of advantages. So for example, a gold collar is your accountants, surgeons, engineers, lawyers. This gold collar would mean you're probably in the upper echelon of professional organization. So there are differences between white collar and gold collar. So you can have careers that are more professional than others. 
And one of the definitions or one of the ways that a professional career is separated from like a semi-professional career is they'll have their own internal code system or their own internal audit system. So for example, if you're a lawyer, you have to pass the bar exam. And if you make a mistake that's flagrant enough, you can lose your license to practice law. And it's, it's an internal punishment. It's not like there's necessarily, you've, you're going to suffer some type of criminal or civil penalty. Although I imagine if your mistake was grand enough, that may be the case. But you'll basically be stripped of your ability to practice law. Same thing with being a medical doctor, where if you make a mistake that's sizable enough, you can lose your medical license. Now, I imagine most people that are attorneys or doctors that take their work as seriously as they should, losing their license to do that work legally would be a significant motivation to not make mistakes that are that dire. Of course, you know, some people may lose their license and see it as a blessing. I'm not sure. But the gold collar fits. You know, you think about people that are basically white collar, but three times as successful. They usually will have, sometimes they'll have PhDs, they'll have advanced education, and they will have uh, certifications. They'll pass the medical exam. They'll pass the bar exam. These different things to really set them apart so that it is the creme de la creme, the upper crust exclusively. And it makes sense. Now, I think sometimes people get confused with white collar because there's the concept of white collar crime, which has the same name, white collar, and with white collar crime, it means it's a financially motivated, nonviolent crime committed by businesses, sometimes government professionals. I think there became kind of a attachment with the term white collar crime that meant it was very successful businessmen, like CEOs, maybe very renowned art dealers, people that deal with quite a lot of money and that have a, a tremendous amount of assets, things like this. That's not what's meant by a white collar employee. It simply means that your work is usually limited to an office where you're doing repetitive office type work. You can be salaried, but again, it can often be like an hourly salary position where if you don't work X amount of hours that week for whatever reason, it can lead to a, a loss of income. And if you ever do get overtime, you can be paid for that overtime which would be similar to a blue collar type of payment structure. Green collar, you have people that work in the environmental sector, like a quote unquote green job, dealing with the sustainability of the environment. Orange collar is for people who work in prisons, like prison laborers. Like if you think about those work programs that the prisons have, where you'll see 20 or 40 inmates doing work that you would sometimes see blue collar individuals performing. So that's orange collar. And then black collar, it does kind of carry a negative connotation because you think of a lot of terms that start with the word black, like blacklisted or blackballed. You have black death. But with black collar, I think of like black lung because it, it deals specifically with people who work in mining and drilling. You think about people that deal with very dirty uh, work conditions because they're underground or because they're just doing work that involves some demolition or something to that effect. And then you have a popped collar, which I'd never actually heard of before, but it's kind of like an emeritus thing where you have a someone from a rich family who doesn't necessarily need to work, but their parents will have them work just your standard nine to five job or part-time job so that they can build their character. Think about an example of them just working maybe for their parents' business or working in some type of, you know, well-to-do country club or something like that, or working at the master's. 
just something where you get some experience dealing with people. And then this is, I think, becoming more and more prevalent in our contemporary society. You have the no-collar. These are the artists, the entrepreneurs, free spirits who kind of have their startup businesses or they work for some cause that they find to be very fulfilling. They can also be people that don't get paid at all or they work as volunteers. This also applies. When you think about working for a white collar company, this is kind of what happens psychologically and why it's so scary. You start working and everything seems to be going great. But then you slowly start realizing the work becoming competitive or repetitive as you get better at what you do. You start realizing that there's a process and if you follow that process, it can save time, you can be more efficient. The longer this goes on and you start recognizing the pattern, this happened to me, you start becoming less challenged and then eventually every day looks the same. Then you start thinking wide and you start thinking futuristically, which is, well, should I work for a different department or should I work for a different company? Should I change my career trajectory altogether? Especially if you feel no longer challenged. Now, a lot of people, I think like they talk about how it's the middle class that makes up the bulk of the American economy. I think that same rule applies with regard to how many people find themselves in that job where they're no longer happy, they're no longer challenged, but they stay the course out of necessity because they're earning a living that allows them to pay for their immediate bills. The issue with that is they get into a rut. And if you don't control it, if you let it control you, your behavior and your attitude can get so pessimistic that people don't even really want to work with you because suddenly you're jaded on just about every conceivable topic. You'll usually hear this with some of the old timers who have been in a company for 35 years and they've seen the ebbs and flows of the company or the department and they've seen how things were 20 years ago and how they are now. And it can lead to these preconceived notions that, you know, the best times are behind us or maybe they didn't have a lot of scrutiny. And now because of new management, new company philosophies, they're being told how to think by people that are half their age and have only been at the company for three years. So I certainly see from a logical standpoint why people would take exception to that or why they would take offense to that. But the issue is if you stay with a company for well longer than you should have, it's very hard not to let it get to you not to let it start turning you from someone who's optimistic and helpful with your approaches to someone who's more fatalistic and it's, well, what's the point or nihilistic where what difference does it make what I do because it's never good enough. That Those are dangerous mentalities to foster because it can get to be where you're spreading dissent just among all the ranks. So that's the risk that you run when you work for a company that can become repetitive where you're no longer really intellectually stimulated. And a lot of people suffer from this where they find themselves kind of in limbo and they're only focusing on the money that they're earning and they just become, for all intents and purposes, a workplace drone. And that's why I utilize the term drone as much as I can because I feel like whether you like it or not, if you work for the same white collar company for many years and you're doing essentially the same type of work, I think you may be very good at what you do, but I think it's also puts you in the category of being a workplace drone because the work itself, regardless of how different and how colorful you try to keep it, it does start getting droll. It does start getting repetitive. I received advice from a dear colleague way back when. He had been working at my company for about 15 years and he'd worked in several departments. He'd worked in a variety of different sectors and he'd worked under a 
smorgasbord of different people. And he said, Falsetto, are you planning on staying at this company for the foreseeable future? Yes. Okay, well, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. He gave me some advice on some books to read about a janitor and a CEO were waiting for the elevator at this large conglomerate that had probably 50 floors. And the janitor had been working in this building for years. The CEO had been working in the building for years. Never once did the two cross paths except for this one day where they crossed paths. It led to this real eye-opening discussion and the CEO started seeing what life was like through this janitor's eyes and vice versa. And they both had an epiphany of how life could be and how not to take the simple things for granted. This was all advice given to me by my, my buddy. He had this knowledge of it, it being a, a marathon and not a sprint because if you're that person that volunteers for every project and you work three times as hard as you are getting paid for and you're constantly the first one who wants to participate and who wants to help out and who wants to pick up the slack of some of your struggling colleagues, that is great. But if you're going to be at a company for 25 or 30 years or even 15 years, you can easily get burnt out because you're going to put in all this extra labor and all this mental energy into these projects. And if you don't get the recognition that you feel you've earned or that you know you've earned because it's a large or semi-large company, you're going to blow out your fuel tank. You're going to be sapped of a desire or a will to, at the very least, continue giving that level of output. But in a more insidious, detrimental manner, you're going to start developing resentment. And my buddy, he got to a position where he was doing his job very well, but they had a new manager and a new philosophy and they decided they were going to make him and a lot of other people reapply for their own job. And he actually lost out to another competitor and so he was demoted. And this led to quite a bit of fury and outrage and he was very unhappy for about three years after that. So I met him at a very interesting time in his career. And I found his advice, while being very succinct and being very well thought out, it's a great analogy of uh, it being a, a marathon. But in the end, I, I failed. I, I could not keep it in, in check because I started doing that thing where I would still try to be helpful and I'd still try to work probably harder than I was getting paid for. And in the end, I simply did not feel as appreciated as I should have been for my contributions. But it is still very good advice if you can practice it, you can live it, you can breathe it, and you can pass it on to your, your pals and your colleagues. White collar work is very taxing and that stress creeps up on you. It can often lead to heart failure. It can lead to a lot of physical ailments, stress-induced, like stress-induced heart attacks, stress-induced panic attacks. It's not just because people that work in a white collar environment are more sedentary. I do believe that sitting for hours on end and not getting any cardiovascular activity, I do believe that that is extremely negative for your, your body's development and sustained health. But it's so many things that are directly linked to that type of work. You get stressed at your white collar job. So you say, forget about the healthy snacks and the celery and the oats and the bean sprouts. I'm going to eat a if you're in Texas, it's it's a Whataburger, but if it's in just about anywhere, you have a greasy, gluttonous fast food establishment on every street corner, you're going to stress eat. I stress eat, and you, you take that coupled with the sedentary work lifestyle, and you take just the stresses and pressures that you have with trying to meet deadlines and trying to live up to expectations, especially when you have other people that you're responsible for, and so much of it is out of your control. I had elevated blood pressure 
And once I quit my white collar job, it was recognized almost immediately by a medical professional that my blood pressure was significantly reduced. It can be something that can kill you. It can be a killer. I've heard terms like silent killer or hidden killer, but it is definitely out to kill you if you let it. Do not fall prey to the insidious slaughterer that is a white collar environment. You have to do your best to walk and to stay mobile and to get as much exercise in as you can on your breaks. And you have to continue to eat healthy and not let the job make you eat, stress eat or stress drink too much. And to just keep a positive, healthy mindset that you're responsible for your own work and you're not going to bite off more than you can chew as often as possible. You have to know your limits. You have to set your own boundaries for how many people's life am I going to change today? How many chances am I going to give a colleague that I'm trying to coach or I'm trying to train and they're not taking my advice seriously? You just have to know how far you're going to let yourself give an F stars and you need to hold yourself to that. We've discussed like mental versus physical labors. You know, physical labors are very important. I mean, if a bridge is not constructed properly, that can lead to death and destruction. When you're doing physical work, when you're dealing with electrical components, you're dealing with civil engineering, you're dealing with things that involve apparatuses. It all needs to be put together well up to code. It needs to follow all of the regulations. When I was working claims, I saw so many homes that were not constructed properly. And this can lead to issues with mold. It can lead to issues with dangerous home conditions that manifest. And then they can become a real problem for the people that inhabit that home. The physical labors are very important. And the mental labors are very important, but understand that they're both very draining, that your physical labors take a toll, the mental labors take a toll. So don't ever be judgmental of other callers. Understand that the callers are there. All of the callers kind of make up a kaleidoscope spectrum of color that allows our country and the world to function. You have to have these different callers for everything to work smoothly. So just always know that no matter how much you think your work is important, or how much you think that your work is the only work that matters, it's just simply not true. You play a part. Now, I will say that growing up, I did not particularly have a deep veneration for lawyers and medical professionals because I just always assumed that, for example, well, they went into that line of work because they're money hungry or because they're overly ambitious. So I would display comments that could be argued are resentful, something to that effect. And something I didn't think about so my father was an attorney for about 45 years. He lived it. And I never really thought about it until I remember having conversations with him where it was, you know, you can't shut it off. You work as an attorney. You take those cases home with you in a metaphorical sense. You're constantly worried about, are my clients going to change their minds? What type of judge am I going to get? Is the fact that this jury in a small town going to muddy the, or sully the waters? You're constantly thinking about the what ifs because you're dealing with so many unknowns. You're dealing with so many other people and the stakes are high. A large case can be something that can set you for life or it can ruin your reputation if it goes south. There's just so many things that you have to keep going in your mind even when you're not getting paid for that specific time. It's just taking a toll on you. And then I started thinking, well, I don't want to be an attorney. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be the person that had a literal hand in some patient being severely disfigured or dying. And even though you may not face any real you know, you, you may not lose your medical license. You may not be out of pocket on a, on a suit because maybe the lawsuit goes your way or something. Maybe you have that insulation that the medical community provides to help you, but you still have that on your conscience. And I assume that if you're a high-priced surgeon, 
Those are the things that are making up your salary, that the, the stakes, the risk, the uh, a risk that you're assuming as a professional who's responsible for getting the right dosage right. If you're an anesthesiologist, for example. So you always have to be mindful of the things that go into the collar and why that collar is important. Plan your future. Have a plan for yourself, where you would like to be in your company. If you look to the future and you don't see if one for yourself there, you don't really see where you fit in and you are somewhere from mildly to wholly discontent in your present position, it may be time for a change. That's how you may know you're either wearing the wrong collar, you're at the wrong company, or maybe you're in the wrong department. So here's a quote for you. The hardest chore to do and to do right is to think. Why do you think the common man would choose labor partially as a distraction from his own thoughts? It is because that level of stress he most absolutely abhors. Chris Jamie. Don't judge other callers. Just understand that you're going to pick a caller or a couple of callers and the other callers, they have their time. There's a reason that they're there and there's a reason why you chose the path that you chose. I do believe it is personal nugget time. You have been a very patient audience and I very much appreciate it. The tone of this one has been somewhat solemn. So let me share a testimony, a very personal account of a moment where I was worried a little bit too much at my former company. So starting out, I was handling claims. I was handling some of the steepest, most dangerous roof claims in the general greater Houston area. And this would often be during the hottest months of the year. And I started noticing a pattern where the consumer would be irate if you did not give them not just a decent repair on the roof, but a full replacement of the roof. They grew to expect it and demand it. Meanwhile, a little parallel story. I was working out as often as I could at the gym, the YMCA, to blow off steam from such a stressful work environment. So for the last several months, like clockwork, every Tuesday and Thursday, while I was working out, there would be a gentleman in the corner where the basically the punching bag was, but it was a full body bag, probably weighs about 60 pounds or more. And he would be kicking 10 kicks with the right, 10 kicks with the left leg. And his kicks were moving that body bag all over the place. It was a violent jostle. His kicks looked like they could shatter your spine on impact. They were the Joe Rogan or Robbie Lawler or Chuck Norris kicks of yore. And one day, about a month later, I noticed him kicking the bag because between sets, I would be resting, observing. He kicks the bag in the middle. The bag tears and sand falls to the ground with a violent eruption. I did not know they were filled with sand, but sand they are filled with. And I was just staring in shock. I'd never seen a body bag broken. I'd never seen pounds and pounds of sand fall to the floor. So that definitely registered. I, I took a moment with that one. So now fast forward back to me handling roof claims and it's the trail end of a long day. It's in the middle of summer. I go out to a home. I'm gonna be the adjuster inspecting the roof, knock on the door, who answers? It's that same Chuck Norris of yore lookalike with his violent jarring body kicks. The one who defeated the sandbag. He is the customer that I will be servicing that day. Imagine. What if I have to deny this man a new roof? What if I offer some piddly little partial repair? He will drop kick me in the throat, instantly causing me to have a violent stroke looking reaction and I will probably not walk away or walk ever again. So the fear was real. I gave that man everything he wanted. 
I asked if he wanted a complimentary lawn mowing. I offered to wash his Escalade. I did everything in my power and well beyond the scope of my work regulation expectations to satisfy that man. I was very worried about physical harm coming to me if I even thought about giving him something less than a $30,000 roof. So there you go. I survived. But the point is I worried about that dropkick a little too much. That would have never been the outcome. He would have just been another customer dissatisfied in a long line of dissatisfied customers. So keep your eye out when you're at the gym. Make sure no body bags burst. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. And thank you for allowing me to help you unwind the daily grind. Audience, I am Falsetto Profit. Stay tuned for the next episode of Valuation Elation, preparing for the uppercut to your gut that is your monthly and or annual evaluations. The best we can do is push forward, keep a positive outlook, and avoid violent roundhouse kicks to the general sternum area. Good day, audience. Falsetto out.